Yes, it's Pet Chat coming to you from a very festive studio today. We're really getting into that Christmas spirit. Daniel Carrington, lovely to see you. It must Thank be the you. first Wednesday of the month. First Wednesday of the month. I'm here. And Dr. Paul McCarthy, lovely to see you as well. Thank you, Sarah. Nice to be here. Before we uh, go into things today, I've, I've had a very serious oh. question that I've wanted to know for years. You can actually see him up on our webcam. Now, Dr. Paul, obviously being a vet, I feel like you're qualified. <laughs> they reckon this is Randy the reindeer, but honestly, I think it's more Derek the dog. Is I this a reindeer or a dog? I think it's much more Westy than it is reindeer. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say Irish wolfhound. Oh, it's got long legs, I guess. <laughs> but we can agree that's not a reindeer, that's a dog. No. Where, does it actually have antlers? Oh. oh. <laughs> he had antlers until I ripped them off just then. <laughs> See, questions like this can be answered today. Dr. Paul McCarthy, he knows That's his it. Stuff. I can tell my deer from my dogs. <laughs> Denny, what are we chatting about in just a couple of minutes? Oh, we're chatting about teeter testing. So if you want to know what that is, listen. Because I've got no idea. <laughs> yeah. Before we do that, though, Denny, you want to talk about teeter testing today. And you've got uh, Kathy Cornack here, who's a bit of an expert in this area. Yes, yeah, so we've got Dr. Kathy Cornack, uh, who's a holistic vet, um, and uh, she'll talk to us about vaccinations and teeter testing. So, welcome to the show, Kathy. Oh, thanks, Daniel. Uh, thank you for making time for us today. Look, I guess first of all, as I introduce you as a, as a holistic vet, um, my first question would be, what is a holistic vet? Yeah, that's a good question, and I get asked that a lot. I think the simplest way that I think about it is, you know, I'm a trained vet like any other vet, but I have developed a particular interest in, I guess, more a natural approach and more like a naturopathic uh, outlook and treatment options. So it's all about doing the least harm, doing what's necessary, but trying to do it as naturally and with least harm. Which is also uh, quite big in human health too, in terms of using those natural remedies as well. Exactly. Now, what we wanted to talk to you about today was uh, vaccination and, and teeter testing, and we'll get down to that a little bit later on. But vaccinations in dogs, let's go through the basics. What types of vaccines are there? Exactly right. So here in Australia, most commonly um, you'll hear about the C5, which is the canine 5. Now that actually consists of two different vaccines. It's a core vaccine, what's called core, and that means because it protects against some life-threatening diseases. So it's the one they really need coverage for. So that's your C3 or your DHP, distemper, hepatitis and parvo. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the other two, which are both in the kennel cough, which is kind of like a flu vaccine kind of idea. It's not essential, but often recommended depending on what your dog's going to be getting up to. Okay, yes. So um, in regards to those, I'm very familiar with that, with breeding my Weimaranas. And we actually, due to the immune system of the Weimaraner, split those vaccines. We do the C3 and a couple of weeks later, we do the other two, which is your kennel cough, as you discuss. So yeah, that's um, important to know that. What I guess, um, coming from having dogs all my life, um, we're used to uh, vaccinating yearly. Is this necessary, though? Well, yes, this, um, it depends. So let me just explain a bit. Now, the only real concern we have locally is parvovirus. And a really important message I want to get out to people, really important to have young dogs properly and fully vaccinated for parvovirus, which means a series of vaccinations. But once, let's assume a dog has had that, they've had their full puppy course and then the necessary booster, we know that yearly vaccinations are only necessary for kennel cough because it doesn't, 
persist. It's a short-acting mm. one. But for your core vaccinations, presuming, presuming that your dog has good immunity from a proper schedule, then no, they're not necessary annually. Um, you know, a minimum of three years, perhaps five, perhaps for life in, in some individuals. And, and this is the new science that's out there from the World Small Animal Vet Association. So it's, it's well documented and the latest science. So you really should be talking to your vet about that and making sure they're following the latest guidelines. Okay, yeah, so how long has these new guidelines been from the World Small Animal Veterinary Association been in place? I don't know. It's a good yeah. question. Several years. Yeah. Um, okay, and they're, they're recommending instead of yearly, you could possibly do like every three years, as you say. So what might there be a problem? Would there be a problem with over-vaccinating then? So the answer is to that we don't know, but it seems a reasonable hypothesis because we're putting in these immune-stimulating agents that if we give more than what's required, then this might be having a detrimental effect on the immune system and contributing to some of the, you know, kind of immune-based diseases that we're seeing like cancer and autoimmune things and skin conditions, that sort of thing. So we're always about doing the least harm but covering where's necessary. So um, I'm, a, I'm a good pet owner and I want to make sure that my dog is covered uh, with its vaccines. Is there something I can do, like a checkup yearly, to make sure that this year they don't need that vaccine and uh, next year they don't need it, but maybe on the third or fourth or fifth year they might need it? So this is where we come with that teeter testing. So is there something I can do with that? Yes, for sure. So we really want to get the message out there that the most important thing about taking your dog into the vet regularly is to have that health check, you know, to pick up early on things that might be a problem. And then the vaccines are just a secondary thing. They won't be necessary every year except if you're doing your kennel cough. And a simple way that we can check, as well as having a chat with your with your vet about, you know, the history of the vaccinations, but there is a very simple blood test called a teeter test, and which is very inexpensive. Now it's a very uh, um, simple and relatively inexpensive, and we can just uh, run a little blood test if we're in any doubt, and that could well save the need for a, a C3 vaccination for the majority of dogs. Okay, so, yeah, so that test would then... Um predict or tell you if your dog is covered for for those viruses and they don't need that vaccine or whether they do need that vaccine yes that's exactly right okay. and we're definitely still stating you need that yearly checkup really important that mm. is the most important thing and that's why you know vets are trying to get people in regularly is mm. just we need to be seeing these animals to do good um health care to nip those problems in the bud early yeah well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's a great new type of information that I think is worthwhile listening to and hearing about. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> that was Kathy Cornack there. So the tea tree testing is to let us know whether they require vaccinations, whether they are not covered against X, Y and Z. Yeah, so what, what actually happens is when you you have a vaccination, your body creates antibodies. Um, and what the TETA testing is doing is actually measuring the level of antibodies, so to speak. Okay. So um, uh, what Kathy was mentioning certainly is that the WSAVA, the World's Animal Veterinary Association, recommends that um, the core vaccines are given at least every three years. Um, indoor cats, um, you can also do their, their F3 vaccination every three years. Um, and it does come down a little bit to exposure. 
um, and where you're sure. from. So what the titer testing stuff. does is it, it, it gives you a bit of a band at which it says you've got enough protection or your protection is dropping. And what you're looking for in those titer testing is where you fall in that band. Okay. Now, um, the only issue with titer testing is that... Um, it can't predict how quickly that drop will be. Right. Yeah. Can only so, tell you what it is there correct. and then at that moment yeah. when the blood so, was taken. So it's a really handy technique and we use it very regularly. Okay. So we as a practice have a three vaccination protocol. Um, but certainly the the three core puppy ones or the two core puppy ones, depending on the age of the puppy that you, you, you mm-hmm. get, are critical. So the ones you can't miss are the first puppy ones, and your annual vaccination, your first one after the puppy one. Sure. After that, then teeter testing. We normally suggest if you're going to use a three-year vaccination, you don't need to. If you intend to go beyond the three years and wait, then a teeter testing every three. Really interesting And there are some dogs that we don't vaccinate, for example. So dogs who've had chemotherapy in the past, dogs who've had autoimmune diseases, we teeter test those because we don't wish to stimulate the immune system and perhaps bring those cancers or diseases back. It's about, yeah, overstimulating the immune system yearly when there might not be a need for that. Mm. Well, Daniel Carrington, thank you for bringing that one to our attention. Uh, Fantastic information as always. Look, this Dr Paul McCarthy, we've got the phone. Calls, calls and more calls. It's lighting up like a Christmas tree, which is what I like to see. We've got Steve in Shortland. You've got a question for Dr Paul about your dog. Oh, now, Steve, are you there? Sorry. Steve, hello. Hello, how are you? <laughs> You've Good, got a thanks, question Steve. for Dr Paul. Um, yeah, I've got two quick ones, actually. I've got a foxy that's he's, um, about nine years old, and in storms, he's very, very freaked out. Yeah. I have been prescribed by my vet who's retired now, Ace Promozone. Yep, Ace Promozine. Yep, it's a sedative. Is that a good thing for him or not? Okay, so um, Ace Promazine is a, a sedative. So what it does, it just tries to make the dog sleepy. Now, the problem with it as a sole agent for storms is that it makes them muscle weak, um, but it doesn't take the fear away. So generally you've then got a dog that can't run away from the storm but is still feeling the same level of fear. So what we tend to suggest if you're going to use acepromazine or commonly known as ACP is you use it in combination with um, a member of the diazepam family, so um, Valium or Xanax. So what you're actually doing is you're doing uh, treatment on two fronts. You're trying to make the dog feel sleepy and calm but you're also trying to block the anxiety and fear by using a drug like Valium in combination. So I, I certainly think ACP is often very widely used and we use it in our practice for, for that but never as the sole agent. Um, oh, okay. There'd be nothing worse than feeling you couldn't run away when you were scared um, and it just sort of heightens the fear for next time. So it's a very commonly used product, a very handy product to use in storms but I would really recommend it's not the sole agent to use. Always try and use a combo. Oh, okay, because I was getting a bit worried about him because I gave him one the other night and I generally give him half a tablet, but I gave him a full tablet and the oh. you know, poor little bugger could hardly walk or anything and I really sort of freaked out over yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It has got side effects. It does drop blood pressure. Um, it does make an animal less able to make themselves cooler or warmer, so it affects thermoregulation. Um, it can affect the uh, ability to blink. It can affect all sorts of things. So certainly oh, okay. on, only use the dose you've been recommended um, and the 
effects yeah. can last for up to 12 to 18 hours. So certainly don't double dose as well. So if you're worried that oh, your no. dog, dog hasn't had enough of a dose the first time, don't double up in the next half hour thinking that you'll make it better because you can... Yeah, because I was recommended half to a full tablet. I generally give him a half, but I gave him a full one the other day because he was panting really bad and... So, but yeah, I, and I just sort of got a bit worried about him after I gave him the full tablet. But I think I might put him in the bin. <laughs> Good ideas. To, to be honest, with, with storms, one of the best things to do is just try and make a space that your dog can go to when they feel anxious. Sometimes yep. it might be in a cupboard, it might be under a bed. Um, often dogs want to go to ground, and and providing yeah. their, their safe zone is often a much easier way than dealing with you know the pharmaceutical agents to control yeah. storms because you're not really going to teach them to learn. Co- mechanisms if we sedate them when they're de- when they're dealing with the storm yeah because it's just as he's got older of for course. some reason noise phobias sadly do grow exponentially so each storm season oh, okay. will be tougher than the one before so if you yep. can try and act really relaxed yourself so um try and look calm act like the storm's not happening uh oh, don't okay. reinforce the behavior by saying good dog it'll be okay you're better to just oh, sort of okay. keep doing what you would normally do so that he's seeing that the social group are not fearful of these sounds they're not fearful of the lightning and so oh, he's okay. then gaining some confidence because if the rest of the pack aren't scared then maybe there's no need for him to be either Oh, okay. Well, that's, I'll try all that. That's very certainly good. Certainly with an older dog, it will be trickier to get that desensitisation, but desensitisation is certainly better than pharmaceuticals. Some really good advice there. Good luck with it, Steve. Joe in Mayfield, you've got a question for Dr Paul McCarthy about your dog. Hey there. Yeah, I sure do. Um, so, Wookie is a, I don't know, about seven-year-old Labradoodle, and they're very smart, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into the bad habit of, I used to feed him morning and night, but I got into the bad habit of feeding him after I had my dinner at night. So, what was happening was I'd eat my dinner, I'd put it, the rest of it in the bowl with his um, food, and then give it to him. Now, after a couple of months of doing that, he's caught on and unless I scrape food or even pretend to scrape food into his bowl he won't eat his dinner Mm, okay (laughs) very smart yeah Um, great name by the way I assume there's Star Wars fans in your household which is which is exciting yeah not really my (laughs) ex-husband was a Star Wars fan um, yeah no I'm all Star Wars out but he just looks like a Wookiee perfect he's this big black goofy cotton ball yeah (laughs) All right, so um, certainly... Um, as you mentioned, we, we have sort of created a rod for our own, our own back by yeah. by commencing the behaviour. It doesn't yeah. mean that it's set in stone. Okay. Um, so um, Labradoodles, certainly as with the Labrador component, uh, generally are very hard to not get to eat. So in the, circum- not this one, in the circumstance where you've got human food being fed, um, yep. it's obviously going to have a much higher caloric input there'll be more taste to that higher fat levels often higher salt levels so it will taste better now um your options are are several fold the first really is um you ride the storm out so you you put the food down 
if the food isn't eaten within 10 to 15 minutes, you take the food away. So there's yep. an absence of food. Yep. Um, you can then try and re-feed um, that same food in an hour's yep. time. If it's still not eaten, you take it away. So yep. the, the trap often people do in sort of trying to ride this storm out is they leave the food down. But no, you, not what, me. I can't leave the food down. I've got a magpie problem. Perfect. And I, they come into the kitchen. So I give him 10 minutes. Yep. I see he goes over, he sniffs it, turns his nose up, looks at me, and I say, OK, you don't want it. I'll put it away so I put it away. Yeah. Unfortunately, the next morning when I go to give it to him again, by that time, if the egg or the can of tuna that I've put in it has dried out and gone all yucky, yeah. he definitely won't eat it. So then no, I no, and so you don't, I wouldn't even be putting those types of foods out. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I'd be looking at foods that you could feed as a longer-term prospect to try and try and do that. Um, if you wish to use the human food, it will have to be given immediately. So that that's where where you're where you're you, you know you're you're a bit trapped in that regard. Um, okay. So I, I think it, it then comes down to whether you wish this to be a pattern of behaviour to continue. So you just feed him when you feed him, so that everyone's fed at the same time. So you make your meal up and you put your plate down, you make his meal up, you put his plate down, and you both eat at the same time, um, if you wish to keep doing that. If, you, if you'd want to try and train him to eat at his own time, from his own bowl, at his own pattern, then yeah. it'll be about feeding a food type that allows you to do that waiting game with him that won't actually okay. cause the food to, to um, deteriorate before he gets a chance to okay. eat it. Um, it's and, just and don't wait for the food next, with yeah, nothing else. Yeah, look, I think generally if that's, if that's, that's not a bad option to do for in this circumstance um, and you give uh, two or three options that evening, if he doesn't take the food up at that time, the food goes away. So, okay. food, so dogs won't starve themselves to death. They, 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 they understand that there's a, a requirement. Their brain will be saying we're becoming hypoglycemic, we, we need food yep. in the system. So the dogs will eat. Um, and they do play the game with us. So yeah. if they know that they hold out long enough, they'll get a better option, they'll yeah. hold out. And so, they will, that's um, right. It, it's particularly in the, the sort of more intelligent breed types. Um, you can make a game with the food as well. So the food needn't be put into a bowl, the food could be put into a puzzle ball, and he has to play to get the, the food out. Yep. So you can make a game of the meal. Yep, so I've got a, one of those big Kong balls and you put it in and they yeah. move it with their nose and it falls out. Okay, yeah. so I've written that down. Yeah, put great. in Kong ball, give him two to three give it two to three times that eat over the evening the dry food nothing else and just give him 10 minutes put it away and then yeah give him two or three chances i'll do that for the next couple of days see how it goes and maybe check in with you next week if um Ooh, he's starving himself to death <laughs> <laughs> sure but be careful with us don't make the transition too quick so remembering that if you change a food for some dogs too quickly they will develop diarrhea so just just do a bit of a mix with the dry food into the normal food you've been feeding for a day or two before you go straight to dry only. Yeah, so, even so with the dry food, I've heard that before. What I do is if I have to buy another brand and it's not super coat, I'll tip it backwards and forwards in sauce until it's all mixed up yeah, and then put that in your thing. But yeah. what I did do yesterday too, and I, I don't know whether I've created another rod for my back, is <laughs> I got the slow cooker out and I just bought some mince and some veggies and some rice and lentils and put it in with some beef stock and that's what I gave him Gosh. this morning, just a half a cup of that on uh, two cups of dry food, and he ate most of it. Yeah. So, I, I yeah. think also be a little bit careful of your portion sizes. Um, because if too, too much of those high fatty foods will put weight on pretty quickly as well. So just remember portion size. If a dog's not eating the full amount, it's not that hungry. But 
to, to, to be truthful, he's a skinny mini. He's too skinny. He's just all legs. Like, three weeks ago, before I had him shaved, because his hair was, like, turned into dreadlocks, he looked like a big, fat Rottweiler. He was massive. Now people come and go, oh, you've got a new dog. <laughs> he looks like a black greyhound with a Rod Stewart fro. So you're probably, <laughs> in, probably in the the right uh, weight range now rather than the overweight weight range. Yeah. All right. Some really good stuff there. Joe seems like she's on top of it. She's, it's she's really trying. good that she understands the mixing of foods is important. It can yeah. even be the same brand. So if you're going from bag to bag, it's even a good idea to mix a new bag okay. with the old bag because often there can be changes in how that's been processed yeah. and as little variety as you can do to the microbiome, the easier the bowel will handle. Is salmon good to give to your animals? We had left yeah, look, salmon steak and Gizzy doesn't mind that. Yeah, yeah, look, salmon... So fortunately, fish is very low allergenic for most dogs. Yeah, um, okay. And so the shorter chain proteins are often easier for dogs to handle. So things like salmon is a very low one. It, it, it does come down to individual food types. Yeah, some dogs, sure. like some people, can respond in different ways. But salmon generally is a fairly safe option. So it sounds like Wookiee's a bit of a smart one and he's, <laughs> he's good at playing the game. Well, uh, yeah, I <laughs> think... Uh, and certain, yeah, certainly if you've sort of set up the game in pros in in um by by getting it started it's often hard to take the ball away yeah oh <laughs> good luck joe uh now paul you're going to have a bit of a look about autoimmune disease right now and how yeah. that can impact so on... i think we'll follow on from kathy's discussion earlier so what kathy and daniel were talking about is um overstimulation of the immune system can cause the immune system to do very weird things. Okay. So um, very simple autoimmune diseases are, for example, an allergy. An allergy is the immune system overreacting to a, to a allergen, okay. which, is, which is the body's response. But it can cause even quite serious diseases like anemia, where the body will, will um, recognise its own red cells as um, abnormal and start to attack them and break them down. So um, we're when you've got an immune system that's fired up, so as you have been, say, dogs who have vaccinations or even dogs who are fighting an infection will have an, Im an immune response and have a fired up immune system, sure. you can get an overreaction. And so we often have to use um, drugs to try and suppress that reaction. Uh, and often we use things like corticosteroids to tell the immune system, hang on, wait a bit. There's, okay. no, there's no need to break those red cells down. There's no need to damage those platelets. There's no need to, to you know, attack the skin cells. Um, and often they, uh, once you do suppress them, they will go into remission. So often autoimmune diseases are manageable diseases. But um, the immune system is a good thing to have a healthy respect for. We need it. We certainly need it to be able to protect ourselves. Um, but, yeah, with overproduction of immune response, you can get these weird diseases coming. So is that all linked in, Dr Paul, with uh, why we shouldn't vaccinate when we're unwell or we're running a Absolutely. temperature? Absolutely, yeah. There's a couple of reasons for that. Often is that if you have a fever, the vaccine is almost inactivated. You don't get a response from the, oh, from the vaccine okay. because your body temperature actually almost knocks it out of the system. So certainly, and the other thing about it is that often a vaccine will cause a fever. So if you've already got one, um, then vaccinating and giving yourself a second one not is helpful. not a helpful idea at all. Is it true as well that people say you can get sick from getting vaccinated because you get Absolutely. a bit of the live bodies yeah, in so the vaccination? Certainly if you're using a live or an inactivated vaccine, you can get the flu signs from that. So what, what's actually happening is your body's producing the same antibodies it would use if you caught the flu. Right. And so that process can make you feel fairly lethargic and give you a fever. and Just and not as severe signs. as what it could be. Correct. That's exactly right, Sarah. Oh, it's very interesting, isn't it, the immune system? Let's go to a caller right now. We've got Kath in Brankston. 
Hello, Kathy. You've got a question for Dr. Paul McCarthy about your cat. Yeah, hi there. I've got a, an old 12 year old cat, and um, she's gone off. I feed her, and she'll have a mouthful, and that's it. And she's lost quite a lot of weight. We've taken her to the vet, and she's had blood tests and things, and they seem to think everything's okay. I'm just trying to find food that she'll eat. I've tried kitten food, adult food. Okay, so I guess the, the first thing is, so so we've, we've ruled out kidney disease and thyroid disease in your cat because they they be, they be the two most likely you know, in a cat of your age of weight loss. Um, the the other thing would be if we've ruled out kidney and we've ruled out thyroid, um, is has it, the vet had a look in the oral cavity? There's no um, lesions in the mouth at all that would make eating painful. Yeah, because certainly often often what happens in cats is older cats will often get dental disease. They get what are called feline coronoid lesions in their teeth. Um, and they may not actually look that bad externally, but when you probe those teeth, they almost sort of jump off the table because they're so sore. Um, and so often cats who are looking at food and walking away from it are actually hungry, but they just don't want to eat because of the pain. So dental disease is often a, a misdiagnosed cause for weight loss and, and uh, inappetence in cats in particular. But certainly having a, uh, as far as getting the best bang from your buck, as far as the most calories per dry matter percentage, um, look at feeding kitten foods. Kitten foods have the highest level of energy in them uh, as a per weight basis. So you're getting the most energy and the most protein in with the least amount needing to be eaten to gain that. Okay. I mean, I've been giving her, I did get some and She'll have a couple of mouthfuls and then she walks away. So Yeah, I'd yeah. be a little worrying about perhaps that oral cavity is sore. I, I'd, I'd have a vet okay. check that oral cavity to make sure there's nothing in there because certainly if a cat wants to eat and then stops, it either is doing it because it feels sore or it's doing that because it, it's feeling nauseous. And so I think this would be a good uh, opportunity cat to have that cat rechecked. And as you said before, Dr Paul, like it's our instinct to eat to survive. So Correct. there's obviously something going on there. Yeah, that's, that's exactly not quite right. comfortable. Yeah. Thank you very much for your call, Kath. We've been talking about um, autoimmune diseases, Dr. Paul. What's mm. the most common that you see with your, your animals that you treat at the clinic? Yeah, okay. The, the one we, I guess we, we most commonly see is a, a disease called immune-mediated hemolytic anemia which is a great big word for it the is. fact that the body recognises that its own red cells are non-self, they're, they're dangerous, and actually attacks the red cells and breaks them down. So um, the, the presenting sign for that generally is they have very pale gums, pale ears, pale eyes. Oh, which is why... That's the it. vets always check those always first. Always checking they lift those, up exactly. Ah, okay. Lip, yeah, so the reason why all vets are looking, lifting up the lip is really to assess the gum colour. Is it pink? And the second thing is when they push on it, does the blood refill very quickly? Because that gives you an idea about blood pressure and, and how things are going. But, yeah, hemolytic anemia causes um, animals to become very weak. Um, they often have very deep breaths. Um, and sadly, it can be a fatal disease. So it's, it's an important one to, to, to get checked. Can be treated, though, once or diagnosed? managed and often they will go into remission if, if the medication is successful. That's brilliant news. Let's go to our lucky last caller. Hello, who have we got here today? Hello, it's Rod. G'day, Rod. What's your question for Dr Paul McCarthy? Um, I have a three-year-old beagle ear and um, he's prone to bark uh, at anything that moves. Mm -hmm. so, what, um, so what I do, when I work shift work, I freeze one of those Kongs stuffed full of um, tuna or... Perfect. In the, in the freezer, yep. and um, 
I'll give him those when I every now and again when I know I'm going to work shift work so, so he doesn't disturb the neighbours. Brilliant. Um, I'm just wondering what will tuna the best fish to freeze or sardines or. Oh, look, to be, any, to be honest, any of those things are fine. The, the, the freezing process is really just trying to make sure it lasts for longer so you're getting the dog to do more work to get to that. Um, I think the choices you're making are, are excellent choices. Um, and I, I like the idea that you're using a displacement behaviour to try and stop that barking behaviour, which is often a really great way to try and manage barking because often barking can be a boredom thing, as you've probably already guessed. And so giving him a, a puzzle he has to, has to solve oh. by getting the food out of that Kong and getting that, that defrosting happen is a terrific idea. Well done. Yeah. I, um, I've got some neighbours that stir him up like sheep tap guns and that. That's oh. why he barks. Every, but everything, everything that moves, like, um, every time he hears a noise, he starts barking. So yeah. I'm complaining and everything. Well, certainly also, have, have a chat to your vet too because there may be an anxiety condition there but that could be helped as well with some medication in that if there is an underlying anxiety that's making him more vigilant, to, to need to bark. Um, there could be some assistance given by using some medication to help with that as well. Thank you very much for the call, Rod. And uh, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. If we didn't get to your question, we will be back same time next week. Dr Paul McCarthy, thank you. Some interesting stuff today. Yeah, good day today. It was a very thank good you, day Corners. indeed. And I'll see you tonight. See you oh, tonight. Chink, yes, chink. You. Oh, Christmas time. I just love it. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.